Speed, 97.3 ESPN, WENJ, WENJ HD, Millville, Atlantic City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. It is a Friday edition of the Sports Bash. We are live. Mike Gill, Hunter Brody, Josh Henning producing today's show. And you out there, what's going on, everybody? Hopefully you're enjoying the Friday edition of the Sports Bash. So I just went to the deli to grab a little bite to eat. It was like Grand Central Station in that place, man. I mean, guy was up on my back. I was like, yo, Bo, I'm not ready for this yet. How about taking a step back? Did you give him the six-feet look? Yeah, like, dude, you're up on me. Out. I want you out of my face. Now, how did he take that? Uh, I don't know that he could read my lips through the uh, mask I was wearing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll tell you what. It's a nice day out, so it's almost like the rules go out the window when the temperature goes up. You know, it's like anything. When When the weather gets nice, the inhibitions go out the window a little bit. You know, the clothes start to strip down a little bit. The alcohol starts flowing. We start boogieing. It's a Friday happy hour show, and it feels that way, where people are like, it's nice out. They're they're starting to let us go back and have some normalcy. I mean, I couldn't find a parking spot. The lines were long. People were up on me. I mean, it was like, hey, man, come on, man. Let me have my day. I need a couple more days before uh, everything is really, really chaotic starts to happen. But I don't know, man. What's uh, what, what, How's your day been so far? It's been all right. You know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Other than letting the dog run around out back and throwing the Frisbee around, I, I haven't been out of the house today. Probably a better move by you. Just stick in the house, you know, hang out there. I mean, I, I, I just went up the street, literally went to go get a sandwich. I'm like, all right, you know, grab a sandwich, bring it back to the studio real fast. Grand Central Station out there. So be safe if you're out there, everybody. we got a lot to dive into today. I was on the uh, Brett Brown Zoom call, as were you. Uh, I didn't see. You had no camera on. Yeah, I went no camera. See, I didn't know that we were going faces. I thought that was only for when you asked the question. Well, I mean, didn't you see everybody else's face in the camera? I mean, didn't well, you? Well, I had was I had Brett Brown displayed on my screen the oh, whole time. Oh, okay. See, I was in a room with, like, a bunch of other jamokes, and there was, like, uh, four pages worth of people. And at one point, you know, I was in the corner and Brett Brown was right next to me and they kept moving around. And then Keith Pompey ended up next to me, to which I tweeted, I smell pit right now. Thank gosh that Kevin Kincaid's in the picture. So I get another WVU guy to get that odor out of here. Now, it's funny that you know I'm at the point now where when I see West Virginia stuff, I automatically think of you. Now, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but as soon as I saw Kevin Kincaid with that hat on, I thought, oh, Gil is going to be so pumped about it. Yeah, well, Kincaid's a guy. Now, I just drove to the deli. I was at a red light, and in front of me, there was a guy in a pickup truck had a WVU sticker on it. Let now, me tell you. This? Let me tell Let me you. Throw out a scenario. If you start noticing, if you're taking notice now, you will start noticing oddly, like, there's so... Why does this guy have a WVU? They're all over the place. Well, let me throw a scenario at you. The guy behind you at this deli is too close. I mean, yeah. he's way too close to you. Oh, there's but no he question has, he's too close. Uh, way he has, too close. He has a West Virginia University hoodie on. Do you look at this guy differently? Yeah, I probably would have politely said, hey, Mountaineer, man, you got to move back a minute here, man. We're not like partying on High Street or nothing here. Come on. See, I don't think you would have done that. You would have been maybe a little bit more open to him being close. 
That's a good possibility. Either I would have been more open to him being close to me, or I would have politely like joked with him to move back. This guy was up on me. I was like, dude, you better step off. You better take a step back because you're getting a little close. I don't like it. He uh, probably went to Pitt. <laughs> yeah, he smelled like Pitt. He looked like Pitt. He looked like Pitt. Bleep on Pitt because Pitt ain't bleep. That's the saying, man. You know, you can fill in the bleeps. Sure, I can. All right, Sports Bass Live. So, Brett Brown... I want to go and start with number one. I mean, he was on for an hour, so you could probably come up with five, six, seven different answers to this. But the thing that sticks in your head the most after that one hour, I don't want to say press conference, conference call, whatever you want to call it, Zoom call. I think the the biggest takeaway for me has to be the age. He mentioned the age and these players being 23 years old, 26 years old, and comparing that to who wins championships in this league. And this is something that I've been really, really hard on. And when it comes to winning titles in the NBA, it is a grown man's league. It's something I've been saying for years, and I get criticized for it because it was almost as if the process got rushed from the process to title. And nobody believes or thinks to care about the growing pains involved. And we saw MJ go through the bad boy Pistons. And we watched him get defeated and crushed. And he was pissed off. He'd go to the gym the next offseason until he was able to beat them. That matters. And in this league, it's a grown man's league. Ben and Joel need to grow into that. And Brett Brown is right when he says it. So for him to be very open about it, I don't know if we've really heard anyone in the Sixers organization go with that mindset yet. So the age thing is definitely something that stood out. He mentioned that LeBron James, Michael Jordan, both those guys were like 27, 28 years old when they finally started to kind of, you know, get their legs under them, get their NBA legs under them to where it wasn't just a flash in the pan that they made the finals, that they were consistently making the finals. But it took them seven or eight tries for at least MJ, I mean, LeBron was getting to the finals in a very watered-down Eastern Conference, and that's not taking anything away from him. He had a very watered-down Cleveland Cavaliers team, and they were getting themselves pretty deep into the playoffs. But it wasn't until he left Cleveland and was a grown man before he finally got through, and I think that was definitely a message from Brett Brown. Was So the interesting thing here, that I and, and that wasn't my number one, but it's right up in like my top three which was the whole notion of these other guys are older and they're winning. Our guys are 23. But then the message from the front office was, as you've mentioned, it's kind of been rushed through. And it's almost like they want to take advantage of these guys being young and being their best players and then giving them older players around them that can help them win now to try to maximize what they have, which I'm not knocking them for. So that if we can sneak in a couple of finals appearances while these guys are in their infancy, that should only help us as they get older and older that we will be, you know, building ourselves up to this championship-level team. And that's why they went out and got Al Horford and they have Tobias Harris and, you know, they have the veteran players around these two young players because they're realizing you can't have – Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid play the role of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen with role players. They need to have more than role players around them because they're not old enough and ready to lead yet. 
but if they can still be the best players on the floor. You know what I'm saying? Like, is that making sense? No, it is making sense. But here's the thing. It's the message. If the message was, hey, we got two young studs in Embiid and Simmons. We will add veterans and role players around them so we can try and get them as much experience in the playoffs so when they are of age to start dominating the league, they will have enough experience behind them for them to take that jump and dominate and bring this team to the finals consistently. The message is not that. The message is this team is ready to compete for a championship now because look at the talent at the starting five. And that's where there's the disconnect. Would you disagree with that? Um, No, I mean, I think it's not. I, I don't think it's irrational to say you think this team can win a championship. What I think is irrational is being anger or irrational if they don't win a championship. Like, yes, you could say this team has a shot to win a championship, but the irrational, that's not the irrational part. The irrational part is if they don't win a championship that they failed. That's correct. That's the irrational part. So, you know, I thought Brown, he made a funny, he made a funny little quip. I don't know if even anybody caught it. He said, oh, I've been through five GMs, 125 players or whatever it is, and here we are still, like, having these conversations. Like, he understands it's been a odd and rocky road at times, but he maintains this team is all about the playoffs. This team was built for the playoffs. And the number one thing that I took out of it was this. We all judge Brett Brown, the coach. Many people out there in the listening audience want him gone. They think he's a bad coach. They got to get rid of him. But this is why it's so difficult. He was praised by many people who covered the NBA for how he coached in the Toronto series last year. A lot of people liked the adjustments that he made. A lot of people thought he did a really good job in the playoffs last year as a whole. Now here we are in the regular season, and he's getting criticized again. They don't like the way he coaches. He doesn't know what he's doing. Yada, yada, yada. But the number one thing for me from that Zoom call was this. He mentions that he wants Joel Embiid to play 38 minutes a game in the playoffs. And right now, Joel Embiid only plays 30 minutes a game. So again, we're judging Brett Brown on a game, on a style, that is not the way that they're going to be playing at the highest level. So when push comes to shove, if he was playing Joel Embiid in the playoffs for 30 minutes a game like he is in the regular season, that's one thing. But he's now already now he's on the record by saying, I'm not going to play him 30 minutes a game in a big game. I'm going to play him 38 minutes a game. That's a whole another quarter almost of basketball that Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, those guys are going to be out on the floor that they're not in a regular season game. So you can't judge what they do in the regular season and then say, well, that's who they are in the playoffs. He just told you we're going to be different when it comes to the playoffs. Our best guy, our number one option, we're going to be playing him eight more minutes a game. Regular season basketball and playoff basketball, it's two different sports. And I think when the regular season is going on and it's December, it's January, you get so tied into the regular season emotionally that you forget when it is slowed down, when more – when more minutes are being played by top players, it is such a different game. It's an entirely different sport, so people do forget that. Now, I will say, the thing about the 38 minutes, I think it's very fair to say that. I think it it, it means a lot. It matters. You won Embiid playing 38 minutes. But statistically, the offensive efficiency 
This season, when Ben Simmons, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid were on the floor at the same time, was just as bad as the process 76ers. So I will ask, what would they do then if these three players are playing on the floor for 38 minutes together in a playoff game, if their efficiency is that bad statistically? Well, I'll answer the, 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 the easiest part of that question is Al Horford ain't playing 38 minutes a game. Well, okay, but he's not going to play 12 because 48 minutes, he's not going to play 12 or 10 minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if his minutes were cut drastically if they got to the playoffs. And it's like, I think he goes back to coming off the bench and that those bench minutes are limited now to backing up Joel. So 10 minutes of playing backup center and then maybe another 10 to 15 minutes playing uh, in his other role as the power forward. I think they will start to kind of migrate him to the main backup five come playoff time. If you were to say there was one major Achilles heel in the playoffs last year that was glaring, what was it? Greg Monroe having to play. <laughs> right. So now I think you're going to start to see them kind of transition Al Horford into that guy that plays those. If Joel's playing 38, he's getting the other 10. And then whatever other time he gets after that, you know, yeah, I'm sure they're going to have to give Tobias a little bit of a break and then he'll go play the stretch four or whatever it is that he'll end up getting another 10 to 15 minutes. But I don't know that you're going to see Al Horford play the same amount of minutes that he got when uh, when they, when they you know when they thought they well, how got about him. this. If if I just thought of something because Ben Sim or Joel Embiid and Al, Al Horford. Horford's playing 30.8 minutes, almost 31 minutes a game right now. Yeah, he won't get that. But Joel Embiid and Al Horford together without Ben Simmons, that can work. So if he plays 10 minutes when Embiid is off the floor, and then when Ben Simmons needs a break, then you can slide Al Horford in there. Now we can get 20 minutes without all three of them being on the floor at the same time. Yeah, and think about this. He's playing 30 minutes. If Brett Brown wants to add eight more minutes to Joel Embiid, that means eight minutes from somebody else has to come off their ledger. I would imagine the prime candidate to go from 30 minutes down to 22 minutes would be Al Horford. Correct. Yeah, I, I agree. You would have to move around some pieces and whatnot, but I don't know if I can live and die with those three being on the floor at the same time for that long in such a meaningful game. Just because I've seen it, and statistically, it's obvious offensively, it doesn't work as smooth as we thought it would. Have. I agree with you on that, and I think that is one thing, though, that is why through this 65-game season that we've had so far, we're judging them based on that and how different they're going to look in the playoffs be, uh, uh, versus the 65-game sample size we have. So it's like we're judging them and, and trying to decide who they are on these games, and now Brett has already said, I don't want to play Joel Embiid 30. I want to play him 38. And then you have to factor in the bench. You're going to go seven deep. You're not going to be going 11 deep, 10 deep, and having all these guys logging in a ton of minutes. You're going to go seven deep at nights. Yeah, I think it's going to be more, yeah, seven, eight, like somewhere in there. I would think the playoff rotation, you're going to see Ben Simmons. Now, he did mention that you're going to see more of Ben Simmons off the ball with um, Shake Milton doing some more ball handling when they come back. So you'll see Ben Simmons, Shake Milton, uh, Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, and probably Josh Richardson. I think Horford goes back to the bench. He becomes the guy that spells Joel, and then maybe he stays in, and then, you know, you take Shake and, and Richardson, like, you know, get one of those guys off the floor and go a little bit bigger, something like that. But then the only other guy 
I would guess that would be in the – of course, this is weird. See, who loses the minutes? You got Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, Shake Milton, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Joel Embiid. That's seven, right? You still have Furk on. You still have Alec Burks, Matisse Steibel, and Glenn Robinson the third. Plus, if you want to throw into the mix, um, Neto, Mike Scott, that's a lot of options of saying, what are we going to do here? So somebody's either out of the rotation altogether. Is that Glenn Robinson the third? Is that Alec Burks? Is that Matisse Steibel? One of those guys you would assume is going to get minimal to no playing time. Furkan Korkmaz, as much as you don't like him, they're going to find a role for him in playoff games because he can shoot. You're going to have to. You're going to have to because of the spacing on the floor. You're right. I'm not a huge fan because I think I think in playoff basketball, when it comes down to the game slowing down, people are going to switch on Furkan consistently and play isolation ball and try and beat him. And they're not going to try and beat him. They are going to succeed beating him consistently. That's my knock. He shoots 40% from three this year. He took a huge jump in shooting the ball. So it's awesome. If he's hitting five three-pointers and getting abused defensively, you can live with that payoff. But the problem is if he's not hitting it that night and then he's getting abused on D, that's where I'm going to have Well, and I think that Brett Brown can probably read that pretty quickly to see if Furkan's on or off, and then he has other options. If Furkan's my first guy, see if he's hitting threes. If he's not, get him out and go to Alec Burks. If he's, you know, then go to Glenn Robinson. So it's probably going to be who has the hot hand on that day. And I agree with you on Furkan. Look, I'm not a Furkan hater. I understand what his role is. It's a... Play him a lot in the regular season, get him into a rhythm, and then hopefully in the playoff he's found his rhythm so when he gets shorter spurts he can still give you some work. So I don't care that he gets overexposed in the regular season because I don't care about the regular season games. These are for the coach to get these guys confidence and yada yada. But I also acknowledge that typically in the playoffs, these one-dimensional three-point guys, the Joe Harris's, the Kyle Corvers, they typically get minimized in playoff series. So I don't know that I have a big feel that Korkmaz is going to help them out in bigger minutes as a three-point guy as he did in the regular season. So that's why I think Korkmaz, Burks, and Robinson are all going to kind of be in a who has the hot hand for that day. Yeah, you hit on something there. It's got to be situational. It depends on the night. It depends on the game. It depends on the matchup. You know, if if Mike Scott might work out better due to his size and and maybe that position, or also factor in, what if Tobias gets into foul trouble? And now Horford isn't the, the best that night, and they need a four. Maybe it's Mike Scott. You know, they, maybe they add someone like that. Mike Scott was actually finally making shots right before all of this happened, and that didn't happen all season long. So it's a shame he was ready to, at least for a short amount of time, it seemed he was ready to find himself again. But I do think that it just depends on the night, depends on the matchup, depends on the foul trouble. You mentioned Matisse Thibel, though. I feel as if, and he has some rookie mistakes, and he did hit a wall to an extent, but he could be so impactful and disruptful that how do you keep him off the floor? You mean because of his defense? Oh, yeah, because yeah, of his defense. Obviously. Um, how do you keep him off the floor? I don't know. Who is sitting for extended? I mean, Tobias Harris. Let's, let's. It doesn't have to be a significant amount of time. I'm talking Matisse Thibel. If I said to you 10 minutes in a playoff game, those 10 minutes could be really successful perimeter D. Sure, and I think that's what you'll see. I mean, Tobias Harris plays 34 minutes a game right now. 34 and a half, 30.5. So are they going to go up or are they going to stay steady? I would say steady for Tobias. All right, so that means there's about 12 to 14 minutes, I mean, that a guy like Thibel can come in and play. But then Alec Burks, you got to figure out, 
all right, how many minutes a game is he getting? Well, with Philadelphia, he only plays he plays 20 minutes a game. That's going to probably drop. Significantly. I mean, I would say closer to t- 10 minutes. Right. Furkan, now in a regular season game right now, he is giving you 21.8 minutes a game, almost 22 minutes a game. I imagine that's going to drop. So, you know, it's going to be hard to kind of get the pieces put together with that eighth, ninth man in the rotation, but he's going to have – look, Shake Milton inserting himself into this rotation has really added an interesting wrinkle to the minutes of everybody else. I remember in the summer league this year, they were trying Shake Milton at point guard, and it looked like he was rushing things, or I'm sorry, was it preseason? Did I say summer league? Whatever. It was games that didn't really matter. He was playing point guard, and he was forcing things. It didn't look smooth. Maybe he was overthinking, but when he showed up late this year, I am so intrigued with what Shake Milton can do. I mean, just physically and athletically, he looks like he has that it when it comes to being able to play in this league, and I would have never imagined it would have got to this degree this quickly. Yeah, and Brown said today that he will still have a significant role even when Ben Simmons eventually makes his way back on the court. Well, that's what he said back in March, uh, right when the, the league stopped. That's what he said then. He also followed it up today by saying that Shake Milton will do a lot of the ball handling. They're going to resume uh, with Ben Simmons uh, off the ball. So that was something that was significant there. Also, what I thought was significant in this was that, you know, the fact is that Brett Brown essentially acknowledged that, hey, I think about the fact that if this season doesn't continue, I don't know where my future stands. I mean, he didn't come out and say, like, hey, I know I'm on the hot seat, but he acknowledged that this is kind of a big, uh, a big situation for me and that he felt that the team – Hasn't got a chance to, you know, uh, I, I tweeted out the, the exact phrase that kind of um, that uh, he kind of mentioned that kind of stood out to me. And that was, let me see. Uh, he said, I stand by this. Our team is built for the playoffs. So that's him kind of giving his message to everybody. Like whatever I did in the regular season or whatever this team has done in the regular season, like we're built for the playoffs. That was supposed to be the message front office. So don't be judging me on this regular season because our team was built for the playoffs, right? So I thought oh, that. Oh, so was... you're tying the two together here, don't you think? I never really thought of it that way, to be honest with you, because we're built for the playoffs has been a statement for so long now that listen, we, me, and you agree with it all the time. The regular season means nothing, but I feel I'm annoyed and just bothered with how much that phrase is being utilized. It's almost I'm just sick and tired of. We're built for the playoffs, even though me and you both say it all the time, you know? He did give us a couple boys in the boat. He gave us a lot of everything. Land he goes on walks with his wife. He's the chef. His dog's in shape. He got he got a little bit of everything in there. His dog has a pulled hamstring. He does a 10-hour uh, crock pot uh, stew that he put together. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot on that call. He actually th- said that the Zoom call with the media was somewhat therapeutic. Which is interesting because normally there's a little bit of hostility between the media and him. Uh, He did say, I feel like the carpet has been pulled from this team. Historically, this team has done a good job down the stretch. And there was some more of that that I just don't remember uh, off the top of my head. Uh, But he kind of made the comment of, I feel like the carpet has been pulled from this team. And then he went back to, hey, historically... Oh, here it is. I got the full. Uh, I got the full bite from from Brett Brown. This is Brett Brown today uh, on the Zoom call. Uh, in many ways, I feel like the carpet has been pulled from this team. You know, historically, we've done a pretty good job of ending 
that final third and, you know, trying to land the plane and hit the ground running. Um, interestingly, like was, as I study it, think of this number. You know, only 19 times out of 65 games, 19 times out of 65 games have we had our starters. The injuries to Joe and, Joel and Ben and Jay Rich, they're significant, and, and I can give you the math on that. And so as it sits, I don't feel the season is, is complete at all. We have more to give. 19 of 65 times they have played as a full team. Weren't we talking about the same thing last year when they went to the playoffs that they only had their full lineup with Butler, Harris, Joel, Ben for like 12 games? Wasn't it a similar conversation? Is that enough for you? Is that enough games? Uh, we didn't think they had enough games last year. They ended up going to game seven and basically uh, going toe-to-toe with the NBA champions. So 19 and 65 is better than the percentage they had last year. So what does that tell you? The regular season might not mean that much? I think I've been saying that for quite a while here on the Sports Bash. Brought to you by Matt Black Kia. They want to get you approved today. That's Matt Black Kia on the Black Horse Pike in Egg Harbor Township. Here on the Sports Bash Live, Mike and Broads. Don't forget, ask Mike and Broads. Use the hashtag Ask Mike and Broads on Twitter. And we'll do that today at 4.30. Your questions have been coming in on multiple platforms for today's Ask Mike and Broads. Hashtag Ask Mike and Broads on Twitter. Coming up, Andrew DeCecco is today's football at four. We got a lot of Eagles stuff that we want to get back into from yesterday's conversation with Adam Kaplan, who made some news with his comments on the Davion Clowney. He had some interesting things to say about Jason Peters. And, of course, we talked about Carlos Hyde and the potential of him coming to Philadelphia. Plus, it's a happy hour Friday. Todd Rank is back at 530. We'll have a lot of fun with that. By the way, he got a COVID test yesterday. He got a COVID test yesterday. He'll give us the results coming up. It's live on 97.3 ESPN. Football at 4 has Anthony DiCecco from InsideTheBirds.com tonight. And, of course, we will bring you the MGPT Top 5 at 5 tonight. It's National Pizza Party Day. It's your favorite slice of pizza in the area. Text in right now because we have to educate Broads. He says, I don't really have a favorite slice. I don't know where to go. So, text in 609 609- 403-0973. If Broads is getting a slice of pizza, where's he going? Because I have my five. PT has about 40. I mean, he told me today, when you said, I don't really have an answer to this question, he said, oh, I was really disappointed. I-, I wanted to do pizza. And I said, all right, for the PT, we'll do a little pizza slice. It's National Pizza Party Day, man. No, I, I understand that. And listen, I'm all for it. I See, with me is I wanted to go with the pizza toppings because I'm I'm controversial. Yeah, I but do don't the Hawaiian you know, pizza. Don't you know PT? I know. You ever had I lunch know. with Pete Thompson before? Yeah, me, you, and him. He is the most bland, boring eater of all time. It is meat, bread, cheese, no toppings. The pizza doesn't get anything on it. It's a plain slice. The burger is... Meat and bread and cheese. That's it. There's nothing on the burger. It's not a bacon cheeseburger. It's not a jalapeno burger. He's got to be the most boring eater of all time. So when you said toppings on the pizza, there's no toppings on the pizza for the PT. That's disrespectful to the pizza. You're not giving it justice. Now, let me ask you, because I'm, I'm a fan of this, and I don't understand the disrespect. 
Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? I can do it. I mean, I'm not like going out of my way to order it, but I will go out of my comfort zone and try things. I agree. I love buffalo chicken pizza. To me, that's just fantastic. It's got to be from the right spot, though. If you try a buffalo chicken pizza and it tastes like panuchal, then I'm out. What about a chicken bacon ranch pizza? No oh. problem with the chicken bacon ranch pizza, but sometimes people try to put the uh, the onion, the purple onion on there, and I'm out on that. Okay, I understand. I what don't you know mean. any do. food that a raw onion makes better. Well, a, a salad. No, it's the raw onion doesn't make the salad better. What what is accentuated by putting the raw onion? Like when they when you get a salad and the place just throws a ring of the purple raw onions on there, it's like, dude, really? You take your fork, you pull them off. I mean, there's no value in the purple circular raw onion. It's just a waste of my time. Let's fork them out of there. And then there's inevitably one that you can never get with the fork. So you got to pick it out with your hands. And now your hands smell like the damn raw onion all day. You're you're preaching to the wrong choir here because I'm going to be the one if we go out to eat. I'm like, hey, can I have those onions? Really? Oh, yeah. Why not? You like the actual taste of the onion? Sure. I eat anything. I literally eat. There's things I hate and I'm eating it. Like I hate coconut stuff. If it's in front of me, uh, I'm eating it, or I'm drinking coconut water. I don't even like it. I eat anything. What is something you don't eat or don't like? I literally do not think that you can find something. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? See, I don't like tomato. I'm out on tomato. I will now, not here's eat the tomato. Thing. I would never just eat a tomato. Like, But if I'm going out and there's tomatoes in my salad, absolutely, I'm eating it. But, uh, you know... Like, I'm never going to just pop them in my mouth like those little circle ones. Oh, but if man. it's in my salad, I'm all for it. I see people do that. They take, like, because I always, those are the bit ones that piss me off the most because I got to try to, like, get them out. My The fork won't go in them. And then when the fork does go on them, then I got to slide it off and I got the, the tomato juice on my hand. I despise the tomato. And it's for the reason you said. When I was a kid, my uncle, he made me bite into the tomato like it was an apple. So I bite into this thing like an apple, and I was like, oh, my God. Now, over the years, like Pete Thompson, he won't even try things. Like, he won't give it a chance and be like, okay, I haven't had this, or I ate it when I was younger and I didn't like it. I have slowly tried to reincorporate the tomato into my life, but I just simply, my taste buds, because your taste buds change. I used to not like mushrooms. Now I eat mushrooms. I used to despise sour cream. And now I like sour cream. So your taste buds will change over time. But the tomato, my taste buds are just not jiving with the tomato. I just don't like it. I don't really like ketchup all that much either. I'm kind of like eh, on the ketchup. But I, I respect this, though. I do because you're trying. You're giving me effort. You're not just throwing it away. Oh, yeah, I'll try. I definitely will try. I remember there was something that I got. I can't remember what it was. And Pete and I are sitting down. And I said, oh, you should try this. You'll like it. And he's like, refuses, refuses to try it. Like, he will not jump out of the comfort zone. It is all just meat, bread, cheese, and that's it. See, I see Pete as a guy who, who likes bacon. Now, I could be wrong, but I feel like he's a guy who likes bacon. So if you tell me you put bacon on a cheeseburger, you will now not enjoy the bacon cheeseburger? I don't understand. I don't know that I've ever seen him have, like, a bacon cheeseburger. It's just typically a cheeseburger. That, that blows. There's no way that bacon makes anything worse. No. You can put bacon on a tomato and it'll be better. I think that what, what I think I got the time, and I could be wrong about this, I think what I got was like bacon 
scallops, like wrapped scallops, I think, and he wouldn't eat them because he doesn't eat seafood. That's, that is so ridiculous to me. But I got a question for you. We were talking about the playoffs on the other side or um, on the, the previous segment, and we discussed how you know the regular season isn't that important. And I've had a debate with a couple of my buddies about this. What league between the NBA and the NHL what what league's regular season is less important? Got to be because it's got to be the NHL. It's less important. Yeah. Okay, I would agree with you. Well, I mean that was, it, and this is why I say that the NBA's regular season is not as important as it used to be, but it's more important than the NHL's because the NHL has multiple instances of an eight seed, a seven seed a deep seed advancing, and even winning. The NBA is still pretty hardcore of if you're not the one or the two seed, you have a really, really, really long chance of making it or winning. I mean, there's very few examples of the three, four, five seed making it to even the NBA finals, let alone winning the whole damn thing. In hockey, you get in and you have a shot. Now, does that mean then the NHL regular season is so useless? Well, I think last year that really became a big um, topic of conversation is because you had a historically great regular season from the Tampa Bay Lightning. They got knocked out in the first round, and they weren't the only one that got knocked out in the first round. You had one seeds getting beat all over the place. You had two seeds getting knocked out. I mean, everywhere. There were teams getting knocked out all over the place that were the higher seeds. So last year it was really the first time that it was multiple high, like sometimes it's like, oh, there's an upset. This was happening, I mean, you would probably remember more than me, but I know last year there was at least two or three of the one, two, or three seeds that got knocked out. Yeah, Columbus had a historic season and then didn't even win one game in the postseason. But is that more intriguing? Does that make it more awesome for postseason play? So when the teams who do get in, now it's not so much, okay, watch this, the Golden State Warriors are going to destroy the first team in the first round. Now it's like, okay, everyone can win, so this postseason is that much better. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes the hockey playoffs something that is more looked at and more, you know, um, like when you're in the NBA and you're the seven, six, five, six, seven, eight seed, I don't think you enter the playoffs thinking we're ready to make a deep run. We can upset somebody. Where in hockey, I think you feel like, okay, yeah, we can make a run if our goalie gets hot because it comes down to the goalie so much. Now we see eye to eye on this, but it does kind of, make our beliefs in the NBA regular season not matter. It, it sort of kind of says the opposite. But I, we see eye to eye. We agree that the regular season does not matter. But you just stated that, you know, first seed, second seed, statistically they win titles. So why do we feel the way that we do? About what? The NBA regular season. Well, because, I mean, at some point maybe the history will change. But historically, I mean, I've done shows on this where the whole tanking thing and being the seventh seed or the eighth seed, if you're going to constantly be there, you're not winning the championship. I mean, history suggests if you're not the number one seed, I think the number one seed has won the championship like 80% of the time. The number two seed has won like 15%. And then there's like a little percentage for like maybe the three seed. And then like the four seed has won like one. The five, seven, six, eight, like they've never won ever. Never. But but then why do we 
both think the regular season doesn't matter because the regular season is the one that gets you the number one seed. Because the best teams are still the best teams in the regular season, even when they're not playing at their highest level because of the disparity in the talent. Like in football, we talk about a 53-man roster and how similar from 53 men to 53 men, eh, most teams are like the difference between seven and nine and 10 and six isn't typically all that much. It's maybe the quarterback is the difference. You have a better quarterback than they do, but the rosters are pretty similar. So you win three extra games, or you're seven and nine, and they're six and ten, and this team's nine and seven, or, you know, they're very similar. The difference in the NBA is one guy a lot of times. And that one guy, even when they're not playing their best or they don't care on Tuesday night in February, they're still better than the worst team just because that one guy's there. So. You might say it doesn't matter as much because the style of play is so different and you're playing so many dud teams throughout the course of a year that you're just going to win 30 games just by showing up and then the other 20 games on one side or 30 games on the one side if you're a 60-win team is because those 30 games you amped it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? No, no, no. Yeah, it makes sense. I think I'm coming to you to kind of help me. I'm saying, like, why do we do this? I mean, literally, why do we feel this way, yet statistics show you that you need to be that top seed? But but it is a different game. It just is. You know, two years ago, when the Sixers won, uh, three years ago, I guess it was now, when they played, when they won, they went from 28 to 52. It was the next year after that that people were really jacked up for the regular season. We were all excited every single night. I was one of them. I was like, okay, like this is going to be a fun year. I'm excited. And then, you know, they 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 were inconsistent, but they still were the three seed, and they ended up being whatever. They weren't, I don't think, as good as we had hoped, but they were still pretty good. When I entered this year, and my father's pretty interesting on this too because my dad's a big hoops guy, and he told me, he's like, I just, I'm just not into it as much anymore. Like, I, I've already seen this rat race. Like, I've already been around the hamster wheel a little bit with this. And I said, Dad... I have no interest in this regular season. To me, this year was just about get me to the playoffs. I was so unenthused about this regular season. So all the people that complain about losing to, you know, Cleveland on Tuesday night, I'm just like, dude, are you kidding me? Are you sitting in your house bitching and moaning about the Sixers losing a game in December and you think that's going to matter when push comes to shove in May? Like, there's zero correlation. Like, just enjoy the season if you're going to get into it every night. But don't give yourself heart failure because of it. I feel, too, because when the NBA season starts going, there's still football involved. And that one game a week mentality somewhat leans into the basketball season. There's 82 games, right? And if we look at the Sixers and realistically say they're a 50 to 55 win team, I feel that's a respectable thing to say. How many losses is that? <laughs> You're going to have to prepare yourself for that many losses. Yeah, and, you know, if you're a 50 to 55 win team, sometimes you're going to get wins against teams that are better than you, which means sometimes you're going to lose against teams that aren't as good as you. And we judge the loss to Cleveland more than we praise the win against Milwaukee. That Milwaukee game was special. But here's the thing. When you shoot that many threes and you're hitting at an unbelievable rate that's not your style, do you then question the win and say, is that a recipe for success? It's not a recipe for success, but what it shows is on any day, I'm better than you and I can beat you. So that's why I don't care if I get matched up with you because I've already proven I can beat you.
And that could happen in a, a seven-game series. That one win could happen in that seven-game series, and it, it matters. Sports Bash is live on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, coming up, Ask Mike and Broads. Use the hashtag AskMikeAndBroads, at Broads81 on Twitter. Want to get in touch with the Sports Bash? Send a text message, 609-403-0973. That's 609-403-0973. Uh, do you know what happened on this day in 2001? I do. I don't. You tell me. Allen Iverson wins the MVP. Today was the day he was announced. MVP. Now, did you like the old ceremony style that they went with for the MVP trophy? When they just gave it to you on the court during a playoff game? Yeah. Yeah, way better. I don't need Way a, better. I don't need a, uh, a night of awards. Yeah, I'm not watching it. No. Not I don't watch it. any of the awards. No, don't care. Uh, it was pretty cool when you get it and your fans are there and they get to kind of acknowledge you and all that stuff. But uh, So did you see, I guess we should get into a little bit of this Bryce Harper stuff. Did you hear? So this is pretty interesting. In today's world, we have stuff kind of breaking on Twitch. So Bryce Harper's playing a video game. I guess he was playing Fortnite against Bryson Stott, who was a uh, first-round pick um, from UNLV. He's a shortstop who's in the Philly system. So they're playing Fortnite on Twitch TV last night, and Bryce Harper goes and asks Bryson Stott, hey, so what did Snell, what's he saying? Like, why is everybody up in arms? What did he say? And the guy Stott is like, well, he basically said that he's not going to play um, – because he's not going to play unless he gets more money. Like, not going to go out there. Um, and what Snell said was, y'all got to understand, man, for me to go, for me to take a pay cut, it's not happening because the risk is through the roof. So Harper says, what did Snell say on that stream earlier? So apparently Snell said his on Twitch. And that's how it got out there because he was on Twitch just shooting the, uh, you know, the proverbial, you know, fat there. And, and somebody heard that. So... When Harper was relayed what Snell said by Bryson Stott, Harper says, quote, he ain't lying. He's speaking the truth. I ain't mad at him. Someone's got to say it, but at least he manned up and said it. Have we now opened Pandora's box to others saying, I agree with Snell and I ain't playing for less. Definitely. But the more and more I dive into this story, here's the one quote that Snell said that bothers me a little bit. And I texted you this last night. I'm like, dude, the more I keep diving into this, I'm a little bothered. And and the way I'll put it is this. We are essentially right now witnessing Fox News versus CNN. I think both sides are on their, you know, their sides and there needs to be a compromise. That's what needs to happen. So the owners and the players are similar to Fox News and CNN right now. But in a, in a long timeline that's still a step in the right direction to getting back on the field the next conversation is figuring out the contract so on a timeline standpoint this is the the right move this is the proper way to getting them back on the field but here's the one that bothers me if i'm gonna play i should be getting the money i signed to be getting paid i should not be getting half of what i'm getting paid because the season's now cut in half on top of a 33% cut of the half that's already there. So I'm really getting like 25%. 
On top of that, it's also getting taxed. So imagine how much I'm actually making to play. You know what I'm saying? So from that standpoint, I mean, it blows my mind. They have to come together and figure this thing out. It can't be, I'm not playing, I'm not doing this. And with the owners, it can't be, we're not getting this done. They have to have a talk. I wish that instead of them screaming about, I'm not playing, I'm not doing this, it's, How do we get back on the right path? How do we sit together and properly talk so we can say, so we can walk out of this room. Let's sit down and let's walk out of this room with an agreement so both of us don't need to be on our respected platforms going after each other to the public. I I just don't see how anybody here, Snell, now Harper, feel that this is going to resonate with people who have been furloughed who have been basically released from their job through no fault of their own. Like, other than the fact that a pandemic came in, you've now lost your job. And here are two guys who are getting the opportunity to potentially work their job, and they're saying, I ain't going back out there. Now, you could say, I'm not going back out there because the risk is too much, but that's not what he said. He said that I'm not going to go out there and take a pay cut. Well, this is after they already agreed upon new money in March. Right. So the owners and them already agreed, and now the owners are saying, well, hold on, we got to reassess this. Now, I think the owners have the power to do that. Let's use any other business. If you own a business and you talk to your employees and then they agree on something, and then you go back to your employees and say, well, listen, things change. I mean, this is a pandemic. Things change. So we now have to readdress this. They have the power to do it. Absolutely. There's no question that they can be like, look, when we made these terms in March, we were negotiating under different circumstances. Now the circumstances have come. Well, these players are saying, hey, that's too bad. So there's some people who are hard and fast to a contract, and they're saying, we negotiated this, but it goes back to like something else where like Bryce Harper signed this 13-year deal. Five years in, is he going to say, well... The market has changed so much. I want to renegotiate. I want a new contract. Like, this is where, like, this is the world that we live in. Like, the economy changes. Now I'm underpaid. The economy changed. Now I'm overpaid. This situation happened. We negotiated. We thought we were going to be back in two weeks. That didn't happen. Now we're talking about playing games with no fans. So now the owners are saying, what I agreed to pay you in March isn't going to be able to happen because I was negotiating under the thought there was going to be fans in the stand. Well, did the players say, well, then I got one over on you? Too bad. I mean, this is a merry-go-round right now that could get ugly. It's definitely going to get ugly. And Scott Boris is saying it's full crap. But who am I to believe Scott Boris? He's one of the biggest crazy people on the side of the players ever. Well, let's uh, dive into this a little deeper. So we could ask, does Bryce Harper's comments annoy you a little bit? Yes or no? 609-403-0973. It felt like we were just starting to want to love Bryce Harper. He was the guy that was getting us excited. And then he says, you know what? This guy's not wrong. I'm not taking a pay cut, baby. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973 on the text board. Hit us up over there. We'll be back with more Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN.